0: In the Wild West world of podcasting, there is one podcast that is authentic and genuine and continues to stand tall in its originality. Based on a passion for his guests, their work, and his love of podcasting, Derek Thomas and Monday Morning Critic Podcast get amazing, diverse, unique guests found nowhere else. The variety and quality are endless. There is something for everyone. Derek Thomas is the hero you deserve. He's a silent guardian, a watchful protector. Welcome to Monday Morning Critic Podcast. Here is Derek Thomas.
1: Now, I've got your paperwork. Have you read it? You're not going to push me around. Don't insult me. Don't insult me. Money's never a problem. You listen to me. You just have to honor the correct price. You got that?
0: What? <gasps> then go home, Toby. You make me sick. I can't do this many leaves for 10 bucks. Grow up, Toby. Mac, open internet, please. Command Unknown. I think I have to research alternative specs. Searching alternative sex. What? Listing. No. Shut down.
1: Barnyardlove.net. A port? Funwithfruit.com.
0: Oh, snap! A softball pitch. You think you're good at this?
1: Oh. oh. Get me a snow cone. Wow. This is it road trip i can't get off work come on guys what do we have to look forward to anymore in my day ladies stayed home not the lazy men in your day the men were busy building pyramids i think you
0: all need this trip this spring they may not know how to ride i gotta work on the fist tapping thing no you gotta work on the bike riding thing but when they hit the road they had no idea
1: it would hit back She is perfect. I
0: wanted to say something funny, but all I could think of was black jokes. Please do tell. From Touchstone Pictures, they went looking for an adventure. (laughs) What did you do? Maybe I blew up their bar. Oh, oh, I know that was bad. And found a journey. Holes, baby. They never forget. Never let life get too safe. Every now and then, you got to slap a bull. This will be
1: interesting to see now that the bull's alert. Alert. alert.
0: <laughs> Wild hogs. What do we have here. Four men in a bed, Spooning.
1: You fellas don't even recognize just how lucky you are to have each other. Damn lucky. Are you wearing pants? No. Hi, this is Walt Becker, and you're listening to Monday Morning
0: Critic Podcast. Walt Becker is a director, writer, and producer. His films have grossed nearly a billion dollars. That's a billion with a B. His filmography includes Wild Hogs, Van Wilder, and Clifford the Big Red Dog. I am a super fan of Walt Becker. Walt, thank you for coming to the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So I, I don't know where to start because I, you know, I, I asked you on the show knowing that you were just this director that I, I just love your work. It's, it's, you know, my dad and I bonded to a lot of your movies. He he loved them. I love them. I still love them. And, you know, but, but I came away not realizing how, you know, serious of a writer you were uh, or are um, how, you know, the, the eclectic nature of what you do direct uh the the T V shows you've brought to television. Uh my God, Walt, it's almost overwhelming trying to process everything you've done and are still doing. Oh, well I appreciate that. A lot
1: of it is uh, <laughs> you know, just uh I guess trial and error, but um but it's also, you know, writing is fun. I tell everybody that um, you know, if if you're serious about wanting to um, get into anything, really, whether that's directing or acting, you should try to hone your writing skill because you can always write yourself into a job. So in the uh, event that, you know, I'm, I'm not getting a job one way, then, you know, if you're always writing, you, you have other projects that sort of percolate to the surface. And um, that's another great way to go about it.
0: Yeah, and you you wrote a graphic novel called Last Rain. Is is that something that's still in development? Is that something that just goes back and forth? Uh, it, from the from the sounds of it, very interesting stuff there, Walt. It's a very
1: cool idea. So what what I it the the first answer is it's kind of in cold development. Gotcha. Uh, so it's but um it's owned uh, with myself and Boom Comics, a company that uh, put the the ip out and what i have found this was this is especially true like if you're a comedy director but you want to do a big sci-fi adventure film the only you know it's hard enough uh sort of pitching yourself as the person to do that uh what makes it a little bit easier sometimes especially if you have a, a really cool idea is to get a piece of ip behind it um you know, get a graphic novel written. And so that was, that was the idea behind doing, um, that, that idea as a, uh, graphic novel was basically sort of to illustrate the world visually. So, you know, studios wouldn't think I was, you know, tripping off X, Y, or Z. Um, so that, that was, that was the purpose. The method was to, to use that as kind of an entry point into, uh, talking about a, a movie idea.
0: Yeah, it really has a lot. I mean, it's just very captivating. I was researching it last night. Um, Let me me ask you this. So where does it all start for you, Walt, right? So um, I I know the typical question here that 99% of podcasters would ask is, you know, how'd you get into directing? But I think that's just too simple of a a question. I I feel like it should be, you know, where do your roots? Where Where does your foundation begin, right? Because Every time I talk to a director, I always picture Spielberg when he was a kid just filming things and just loving movies and loving, you know, uh, actors and and storytelling. Where does it all start for you? Where 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 is the point for you where you knew you had a love for this?
1: Um, I think it probably uh, started early, like around nine or ten. You know, we weren't Spielberg shooting, you know, an actual film. But we were shooting on a friend of mine's dad, who was a documentary producer's, you know, giant Betamax um, uh, video camera combo. And, you know, we would end up pretty much almost every weekend for about three years, shoot a little movie on Sundays because a couple of families always got together. And um, and so we would just sort of write um, like a short film uh, when we first got there. Then, you know, you'd have to organize the wardrobe. Uh, then you'd have to figure out how many kids were going to be over there. So we knew how many characters we had. Um, you know, they were largely slasher films because <laughs> I grew up kind of, you know, it was in that time in the 70s and um, and as a kid. And and also they were a little easier to plot because, you, you know, for us, it was figuring out, you know, who dies first, who dies last, who's the killer. So you know, it kind of started like that. Um, and then we would just sort of, in, 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 we, we, we weren't even using the, um, uh, you know, we weren't editing because his equipment wasn't there in the house. So we basically shot, you know, we were shooting the whole movie in camera. So we had to write it all out and then shoot scene by scene by scene. And as we got a little better, we would actually try to make the transitions a little groovier and, um, do that. But oddly enough, when I got into USC film school, eventually, um, uh, in grad school, I think one of the first things they had us do was shoot a movie in camera. It was the very, very first thing we did with no editing, um, just scenes back to back. So um, I think that that's the long answer of when it, you know, kind of a, a love started. But I don't think I figured you could make a living out of it until way after college. Um
0: so yeah, I, that was yeah yeah and i worded that poorly i meant when spielberg was a kid like he would do the same things that you just described to me which i think is so fascinating how you you grew up doing that um when you said slasher films it was it like you know freddie and jason and michael myers yeah oh, yeah, oh yeah, that
1: was the hate it was like uh halloween friday the 13th nightmare on elm street um you know all the john carpenter films it was uh you know, this was I remember it vividly because MTV was starting. Mm. Um, it was just a very, very cool time to sort of grow up. Um, and I think those horror movies were, were such a big part of, um, you know, along with the the Star Wars. But, you know, before Star Wars, that, that was kind of that, that changed the direction of stuff. Before Star Wars, it was uh, a lot of the big, big movies were great horror films.
0: Yeah, you know, and you and I are roughly the same age, and I got to tell you, what boy have um, have things changed, right? I mean, oh yeah, listening to you speak about horror movies and MTV, it's bringing me down this road that uh, a time gone by that was just so like I don't know, genuine and fresh and just. The st- I, I don't know, it's just a beautiful time gone by. I don't want to get too... Uh, no, but topic.
1: yeah, it's a little, it was a lot more um, non-cynical is what I call it. Um, people weren't afraid of big ideas. People weren't afraid of, of anything. I think um, we've generally gotten, uh, to, I, I don't know, to a place of people trying to out-fancy each other or out-smart each other or out intellectualize each other on art and back then in the 80s um the, the movie business um at least in my eyes now the people that were actually adults in it growing up probably have different stories but my understanding of it was people were trying to make great popcorn movies for people and it didn't matter if it was a horror movie uh space odyssey um you know uh even a, a dramatic Oscar type of film. You know, they were all uh, kind of trying to serve the same purpose. No one was trying to be too fancy. They just wanted to tell great stories. It was an awesome time.
0: And and I go back and forth with, uh, with this Well, It's the idea that, you know, it's, it's kind of good that we have like these streaming services like Hulu, Netflix, but I feel like the time period that you and I are talking about, I feel like when a movie dropped, it meant, more because you, you you could only see it in certain places right there wasn't like you can't just keep on rewatching it on, on on a streaming service but then i'm like well streaming services allow for more content so it's like i'm i always get torn in that in that kind of opinion if we're better off today or are we better off you know 30 or 40 years ago yeah it
1: it's definitely the the idea of, of the event movie i don't think it's gone away but certainly i remember i think i was eight maybe then um you know, in line at the man's theater for star Wars, wow. um, I think the news actually interviewed us when we were waiting in line. Cause it was like wrapping around the block like three times. Um, but it was, you know, that th- those type of experiences, you know, they were, Oh, we're going then. And it was, it was, it was pretty incredible. Um, you know, I have gotten excited to watch like, uh, the Batman with my son, who of course had already seen it, but I hadn't. So <laughs> on when on the date that that dropped, um, you know that that was kind of fun to go watch with him. Yeah, just to hear the song that he kept singing over and over and over again. The, uh, <laughs>
0: whatever that, uh, but that song is very close to the uh, Imperial March from Star Wars. The dun, Yes, and yes. I'm yes. not I'm not trying to say Michael Gianconi is is as. Taking it, I'm just saying it's very. There's John Williams has big roots, is, is I guess is the is what. Oh I'm yes, to. yes. So so where I, I know you you're, you live in California now, uh, but where did you grow up? Well, didn't you? I, I, where did I? You were doing an interview. I was watching a little bit of it. It was there was like there was many like um, I don't know if they were if it was a, a club. There was many women on the screen and they were like talking to you about Clifford the Big Red Dog. It just uh, it was a great interview. Oh oh, that
1: was um, a. Oh, I forget the exact name of it, but it was a group. It was kind of an alliance of, um, uh, female directors. That's um, it. That's it. And you had mentioned, yeah. I
0: thought you had mentioned that you grew up not in California, but you moved somewhere else. Well,
1: so I, I did, I, I grew up in Pasadena, California. So I was born in Hollywood, but raised in Pasadena. And then, um, when I was eight, my, uh, folks moved out to Memphis, Tennessee, Okay, which was like 76, uh, I think would, you know, it's a bit of a culture shock, um, so we were there for a year and a half and then and then we moved back. So lived in Memphis for a year and then uh moved back to Pasadena actually. So pretty much Pasadena
0: uh, born and raised. Yeah. And you told a heartbreaking story when you were in Memphis, um, because you guys were talking about Clifford, Clifford, the big red dog. And you were talking about, um, uh, you were leaving with your brother and you guys were so heartbroken because you had, I think you said you had to leave a dog behind or something. Yes. Well, listening to you tell that story, I, I, I I had tears coming down my face. Yeah, it was, uh, uh, it was our dog, Teddy. And that was, I was
1: telling, uh, that group that the, the whole doc scene in, um, clifford came about because i was pitching out this traumatic experience that i've just never ever forgotten you know of our dog it was the right thing to do for teddy because you know he was a big big uh golden retriever and we were going to move into a little apartment um and he had five acres there and you know basically roamed around and did what he wanted but um Leaving him was very traumatic, and he, um, yeah, we just, I just remember watching, looking out the camper in the back glass windows. He's like running after us. We're Ugh. screaming, "We love you, Teddy! We love
0: you!" Oh, it was brutal. Uh, I, yeah, it was oh, brutal. heart, yeah. heart wrenching, heart wrenching. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So you end up going to get your BA, um, at UCLA for communications. Uh, you mentioned USC. Uh, you got your masters in cinematic arts. How vital were those two things in your life, Walt, to get you where you are today? Um,
1: I, well, it's funny cause if, if, if people are considering like a career as, as directors, I, I don't necessarily think, especially nowadays, I mean, you have more tools in your, uh, phone than you, than, than we had by, by a long margin, um, when I was in college. So I think the need to go to film school has sort of, um, you know, there's less of a need for me, UCLA was great you know, because it set a great foundation. It wasn't, I was in the communications program, which I kind of tell people was like film school light, you know, it was about (laughs) media and broadcasting and messaging. Um, and, and so again, it was like trying to claw at the interest that I didn't think I could actually make a living at yet. So it was staying film adjacent while I figured out life, but that, that was, uh, more than anything just fun. And then I ended up doing a show for TBS and T TNT called Glory Days, which was basically based on that time at UCLA and what it was like being in a fraternity um back in the eighties. And uh and then USC, you know, that was definitely more targeted as here's training uh to have a career in film and television. And and that I thought was pretty invaluable because they had great story classes. Um The filmmaking um, was great. And and then just the alumni network afterwards, I thought, was was pretty terrific. So um, I was part of a program called the Peter Stark uh, Producing Program, uh, which is still around and thriving. And and that, I actually thought, helped. Not necessary to do what kids and people have dreams to do,
0: but it helped uh, me. Yeah, yeah, and and by by nature of your work now, right? So you and I talked before about you know off air about you know Super Bowl ads, some really great ones that you've made, uh, some commercials that you're filming. Um, so is it a matter for you all of just taking work as it comes, or is there something you do you like being a, a, away from a certain aspect, whether it's television or movies, for a while and focusing on commercials? Is it a matter of just having variety? Is it a matter of work? Because, like I said at the beginning, like you do a lot of things, um, and you're a really, really talented movie director as well as a producer. I'm not saying that, but I, I feel like um, your filmography, pound for pound, is really a phenomenal one. Um, do, do you do you do you find that you you like to just change things up, or how, how does that work for you when you accept jobs? Well? yeah, it uh, honestly, I wish. I mean, this is
1: probably a character flaw in me maybe, but, um, I, it, it's more, you know, I wish it was like, Oh, I, I do it. For, it it's kind of, I'm, I'm more of the happy go lucky, uh, journeyman <laughs> director if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Kind of just trust in God and the universe and the process. And, and then things kind of percolate and then, Oh, this is, presented itself and then you go do it because you know you want to um you know feed your family and do all that stuff so i haven't you know there obviously you write things that you're passionate about so um when i'm writing stuff i do that and then but i haven't you know i'm not the type of director and i i know a bunch are it's just a, a, a different type that you know, are, are single minded about, I have to tell this story and then they'll write this script for six years, then raise the money for it and then shoot it. And, you know, um, that, that I, I don't not to say that it will never happen, but I'm just trying to go through, uh, the movies that I've done and they've, they've really been very happy accidents of being, you know, at the right place in the right time and working hard. And then you know, having the universe put things together for you. So it's just basically trusting that the next thing will
0: be there. Yeah, no, that's, that's well said. Um, there's three movies that I want to talk about with, with in your filmography, before we get there, there's a couple things I want to talk about. And I know you've talked about this topic for a while and I, it, it drives me nuts because I feel like I don't agree with critics. Most of the time I, I feel like when you go to rotten tomatoes, it's always the audience score. That's reflective. Yeah. That's reflective yeah. of a movie's true nature. Um, A critic's job is to be in touch, I feel like, with people. Well, how can there be such a vast differential with what they think to to what the majority of people that are paying to watch this movie think? Like, if there's this big of a disconnect, then people shouldn't be a critic. They shouldn't be watching movies and giving their opinion to others. And, and, And when those opinions fall flat, it's like, well, your job is to be that person going to the theater, watching the movie before anybody else gets a chance to do it. And they're they're off. Like I've had many directors on, many guests on, and stuff that I love. Critics maybe didn't like, and it's like I don't know who they're speaking for. I don't. It, I, I feel like there's a huge disconnect. Walt,
1: there, there, yeah, there absolutely is. I and I don't, you know, I think, you know, the the I I I've, I'm trying to be political as I uh, talk about this, but but the I I do think there's a disconnect. I think that there is a. Um, the, you know, there's an obvious process about making a movie for an audience, right? And then we test the movies for audiences and before the movie comes out, so we know if audiences love the movie, um, uh, generally. And then, you know, I feel like I'll give you an example. I, I tell this to people sometimes, um, whenever you know, whatever this group and it's it's changed, I, in my opinion, back when when um, critics, you know, there, there was a a local critic at a local paper. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, first of all, they didn't aggregate anything when, when, when they didn't aggregate anything, in my opinion, I I honestly think these review sites have sort of, you know, now we're getting over it a little bit for a long time. I thought they tarnished the business kind of, Mm -hmm. um, you know, when a movie opened, you could have a bad review and, you know, Houston or L.A. or Seattle, somebody doesn't like it, but it's not going everywhere. The the guy in L.A. might have loved it or the lady in, you know, Austin might have loved it. And and so it was more local flavor and people went out to the theaters and maybe they just read that one review with aggregators. Now, my my sense of it, this is just a sense. It's only my theory is that somewhere along the lines, people stopped thinking for themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're writing in a silo and you're writing a review on a movie and you don't know what the next person is saying, you know, two states over, which they don't, unless you had ordered, you know, 300 newspapers, then you're thinking for yourself. And this is what you feel. What I think happens now is all these people, um, not all of them, cause some of them are very nice, smart people, but a lot of them, you know, are bloggers that try to outdo one another in terms of how much hate they can sort of spill out (laughs) on a movie. And so I think it's a bit of a group think as well, where, um, you know, it's like the cool kids in school, right. Mm. They they don't want to like anything unless it's X, Y, Z. And, and, you know, you know, I think audiences are, you know, are just as smart and certainly, you know, know what they like. It's just, whatever this sort of consensus is. Um, so that's why I think the disconnect is, to be honest. Um, I've read a lot of really um, smart, the, the reviews, I guess, that I tend to um, like or understand is when they, tr- when they talk about a movie, first of all, where they're just not trying to uh, trash something and it becomes about the writing. You know, it's like, how how many layers of of hate can I throw on this film? It's more about, hey, this is what it was, just like you were describing. Um, here's how I felt. Uh I wish, you know, I was hoping in the third act they could have, you know, X, Y, Z, no spoiler alert, whatever. Like it, it's it's a bit more, I guess, of um uh you know, constructive uh, criticism. Um but at the end of the day, as a as a comedy person, um, or largely comedy, you know, I, I tell people, you know, cause you get that question. Like, do you, uh, are you always, do you hate reviewers generally? I'm like, well, first of all, I can't blank and statement everybody. Um, but I, I said, you know what, if you're, if you're making a bacon cheeseburger and you know, you're making a bacon cheeseburger and you love bacon cheeseburgers like I do, but you serve it up to a group of vegans, um, you know they're they're not going to, uh, you know they're not going to appreciate uh, the bacon cheeseburger. Right. So I think that's you know that's sort of you know in a weird way the, the disconnect. Um, so you know you you kind of you try to uh, you, you try to you know you always try to make the best movie you can. I don't know if anybody tries to purposely fail. Um but you know that some concepts going in are not gonna you know, they're they're not sort of movies that are gonna make the critical community come alight, if that
0: makes sense. No, and I love the way you, you phrase a few of the things there. You're right. It's almost like they're trying to outdo one another with their nastiness. Like that is yeah. such a good point. That is su- it's almost like they're not making it about the movie anymore. Now it's about themselves. So it's like either you're a critic helping people by giving them a summary of the movie, what you thought or you see critics? I feel like now are are interjecting themselves into the process to make it about themselves. Like it's, that's ex- that's exactly right. Yeah, you know? that
1: that is that is exactly right. And then, you know, you know they they want to somehow create this power of you know the gatekeeper. Um, the problem is. Uh, the audience, you know, especially because they have audience review, people get it. The the disconnect has been so obvious forever. So they're they're gonna see the movies that they want to see. Um, it, it's just sad. I I, I honestly I, I think it is because of the aggregation. It, it was never like that. Um, uh, I I don't think. I mean, I think there were people always hating on on stuff. Um, but certainly now with social media and all the different tools it's it's
0: gotten easier to just spew yeah. whatever out you want yeah, and, and you know, c- critics they struggle with movies, but they really struggle with comedies. Like, if you type in any comedy, like Caddyshack, Step Brothers, the greatest comedies that we we've seen, like they get poor scores. It's just like they they struggle with they struggle with comedies, especially. I feel like because they just yeah they don't know how to approach it. They just don't understand the process. Um, you know, just looking at your just I wanted to start with Van Wilder. Are we at or past the twentieth anniversary with that Walt? I think we. Just had the 20th anniversary because
1: people had sent me stuff on that. So, yeah, I can't believe that movie it was 20 years ago. Um, but, um, yeah, that was fun. But just past the 20th
0: this year. Ryan Reynolds has some nice things to say. I was doing some research on this. He, you know, uh, many people as well as well as Ryan will, will admit that this movie really was a springboard for his career. Um, it's It's absolutely one of those classic movies that, you know, I grew up loving and just really appreciating. Um, did you know it was special when you were making it, Walt? Well, is that something that developed over time, or was it was it instant? Um, I don't know. I, I knew we
1: had. I, I was laughing hysterically the whole time when we were shooting, <laughs> so that that was a good time. I knew that um, Ryan was a world class talent because that was part of the the pitch for me to do that movie. I, I said I just worked with. Um, I call him this kid, but. This kid, Ryan Reynolds, um uh on a movie I did called Buying the Cow. And hmm. I told the producer Andrew Pernay, I said, You've gotta see the scene um with this actor in it. He's gonna he's like amazing. I think he's gonna be a giant movie star. And and so I played him like a 10 minute clip and and that's how we got Ryan in the movie. So I knew we had sort of a very amazing, rare comedic leading man talent um in it as the as the lead. So you know, that box was checked. Um, but you know, that we were, we, it was an independent movie. So it was kind of financing was hobbled together from all over the place. Um, there was no real, you know, kind of studio presence hovering over us, I guess. Um, so it just felt like a really insane hyperdrive version of these little movies that we were doing on the weekends. Cause you know, they just said, here's your money, go make the movie. But yeah, we, we were, Oh man, laughing so hard when we were making that. Um, (laughs) So I, you know, we didn't, you never, I don't think you, I think, you know, when, when you're making something good, but you just, you don't, you don't really know, um, until the very end. And then no matter what you do, um, you know, when you get into the edit, it's, it's always, you know, there, I forget the phrase, but it's like when you're shooting, all the scenes, you know, seem better than maybe they are. And then when you get in the edit, all the scenes seem worse than they were, you know, and, and the truth is somewhere in between. And then, you know, you kind of have to rebuild and refine the movie, uh, while you're editing. So I don't think I've, I felt confident about movies before, but you never, you never really know until, um, you know, you,
0: you put it in front of an audience. And any nerves on your end? Because I know this is like your first major project at the time. I want to say I hope I'm right with that. Um, any any nerves on your end? Oh yeah, um, I hate I, I can't watch.
1: I mean, I hate being in screenings. Yeah. I, I hate being at our own premieres. To be honest, um, so that's you know you always get you know nerve nerves kind of get racked when when you do that. I remember we tested that movie down in Orange. Um, and in a big stadium seating. And at the time we we're like, oh, comedy, that's not good for uh stadium seating. It's better to do it, you know, with one big floor, which is true, I find. So I was already nervous about that. Um and we sat in the very, very back, like the very last row. Um and I could it was like I couldn't hear as much laughter as I usually hear, because we kind of did a, a college tour on some of it. Mm. Um, so I'm pacing around in the bathroom after thinking, Oh my God, I think I'm, I'm just trying to debate our producer. I'm like, I think it's in the eighties. I think we just did like 82 or 83 or something like that. But, um, and ended up testing it at a 94, which is for a comedy, like, wow, almost off the charts. I, yes. mean, I, I you don't really score anything in the high eighties is amazing for a comedy. So, um, yeah. And, you know, and then we were like, wow, OK, this is amazing. But a lot of things have to work. It's not just the movie. Then it's the date Then it's the marketing, how much money they're putting, you know, um, you know, against it. Um, I know, you know, I don't it, it was weird. This was pre I know reviewers were, you know, like anything like these comedies didn't love that movie uh, either. Some reluctantly did some you know, a lot didn't, but it wasn't it, it wasn't a thing back then, you know, this sort of aggregation sites. Um, so d- it didn't it didn't bother me, honestly, for the first couple of films, because, you know, it was what it was.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I totally agree. And, and uh, the college tour, what what a wonderful idea, uh, something that we don't see much of today. Right. Movies aren't released with a tour. I mean, they, have, they do have. They still have screenings. I, I know that. But the, the tour is what. what a, what a great concept. Right.
1: Yeah, well it's getting, you know, um if you if you look at colleges like their own little universe and and for let's call it, you know, 80,000 kids at, you know, Madison, Wisconsin or something, that that is their universe. So we show it to, you know, 150 kids at, you know, the wherever we're showing it, the co-op or whatever, um, and it, and I went on uh, it, and sometimes we had um, Tara Reed, but Ryan, I think, went on most of them, too, so it was a chance for 150 people to go, oh, my gosh, this movie's hysterical, <laughs> and so we did that at, like, I want to say, like, 12 or 15 colleges all over the U.S. Wow. Um, I thought it was a great way to do word of mouth. It was, uh, it was nice that they could interact and talk to, you know, Ryan after the movie as well, so...
0: Yeah, great. Phenomenal. And I'm going to go out of order on on this next one. Old Dogs. So when you have uh, another movie I really enjoyed, Um, you know, when you have a movie like this, right, from from your point of view, Walt, right, I I was trying to think about put myself in your shoes. When you look back, right, we, we, we know the final product, we see that, but your memories are much different than mine are, right? You're behind the scenes, you're creating this yes, product, yeah. right? But then when you look back at who was involved with this, right, the late Kelly Preston, the late Robin Williams, do you think about things like that? I mean, that's, those are some, I mean, from their reputations, two phenomenally wonderful people. Um, uh, rest in peace both. But do you find that when you look back on a movie like that, it's those memories that you have that you think about, not just the final product, right? You, you have yeah. multiple of layers of things going on in your mind, or am I overanalyzing this well? Um, no, you,
1: you, you, you kind of, um, you, I, I think you look back at the people. I mean, certainly I think most filmmakers will say, Regardless of what you see on the screen, there is a whole like uh, separate emotion that or emotional attachment that you have to a particular movie. Let's say sometimes it's because the experience was amazing. Sometimes it's because you didn't think you'd be able to get through it. Sometimes it's because you know um, people on set didn't get along or people loved each other. So there is just it's. I guess the only equivalent would be like watching, you know, kind of, uh, on an anniversary thing, 20 year anniversary, (laughs) you know, like pictures of your life. But, but there's, there's, there's feelings behind those pictures. So, you know, old dogs was challenging in a lot of ways, um, fun in a lot of ways too. Um, you know, we had a great cast, but, you know, we, we started, you know, we had to, we were kind of working on the script as we went, um, certainly when the movie came out, that was a a hard one for me. That was probably the one that like felt you know, I thought we made a fun a fun movie um for an audience that, you know, the we we collectively, you know, didn't quite figure out in terms of like people thinking, oh, this is the sequel to Wild Hogs or this is the you know what I mean? It kinda it was a bit of a tweener. Right. Um you know, the, the cast we had in it was amazing. It was just a really, it it was a very hard shoot. Um, so that, that was, you know, when I, 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 I've just now started to, um, appreciate it for what it is. Um, as I sort of let all those (laughs) feelings go. So if it's on at night somewhere, you know, cable, I can watch it laugh and, and, um, sort of, recall all the you know mostly good times that we had on there certainly shooting with the cast and stuff
0: and when you talk about the difficulties are you talking about maybe a pressure from a studio or just scripts changing or too many cooks in the kitchen like, like when you, when you say difficult is it those yeah, kind of things yeah it was just you know sometimes you you go
1: into something and and um the, the script, you know, you'd want to spend six more months on the script. It's, gotcha. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and then, you know, you, you get into a situation where actor schedules are this and the studio needs the movie for this because they have a hole now. And then you kind of go and and you sort of figure it out as you go. And there's various degrees on that. I've been on movies that was probably, you know, well, I take that back. Clifford was the same way, which was terrifying. It probably worse. Um, it was, I mean, we didn't even have, when I left to go to New York, I think we had a, they were turning in 10 page things off, a uh, outline. Um, so we didn't even have a full script when I started prepping that movie. So yeah, there's a lot of times it's different ways to do it. But for me personally, I'd much rather, and probably I would out, I would out, you know, work on a script too much before you go. Um, but yeah, that, that's what I mean by that. We had a wonderful studio. Um, the actors and everybody were all great. It was just me, um, struggling to figure out the story you know, the, the best version of this story, um, while we were going if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does. And, and it's probably a stupid question, but can you, can you see the genius of Robin Williams as you're, as you're working with him? Can you see that part of it? Um, during the Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. He, he
1: was, um, he was he was incredible. First of all, he was so gracious with the, the crew. Mm-hmm. I mean, he'd buy people presents and, um, you know, he, he was just so, he was so funny and smart. Just, um, any scene he, he sort of, elevates. Right. And then the remarkable thing about him was when he, when he got into a more dramatic uh, phase, it, he just, I don't know, I can, he had a, a, a way to sort of express drama or pain or anything like that without any filters. So he, he could go from, you know, making you laugh out loud on a run somehow. And then he switches gears and then, you know, it's almost like you're looking into his soul as he's kind of emoting something darker. And I haven't seen that quality, the sort of, you know, A to Z range, I guess, in a, in a lot of people. Um, that was, I thought, something pretty unique
0: about him. Yeah, that's really well said. Uh, last movie, a couple quick questions, Wild Hogs. Uh, it's pretty clear from the outside looking in that you have a really good rapport with John Travolta. Yes. Um, what is yeah. it about John? That's, we met him at a Comic-Con. I was covering a Comic-Con for the podcast. I, I don't think I met a nicer person in my life. Uh, just a really sweet man. Um, what, what's your take on John and, and talk about your rapport, whatever you're comfortable with, Walt? He, yeah. he Well,
1: John's just an amazing uh, human being, first of all. Yep. So um, when you couple that with being an amazing actor and singer and dancer, you know, he's um, – he's just a great, great dude. And his, and his family is so amazing too. So, you know, you have to, it's always nice. You have to understand he, he, he has been the biggest star in the world, uh, many times and for a long time. Mm. Um, you know, when, when we were growing up, you know, certainly there was no one bigger in the world than him after Saturday night fever and Greece and all that stuff. So, so, and then, and then to have the resurgence with pulp fiction and, you know, he, he's just done it for so long. He really is an icon. Um, but to be, um, you know, s- sort of so humble and gracious and, and just a nice human being, I just, um, yeah, he, he's always been a pleasure to work with, um, and just so fun. He, he's got a very, unique take on the world i think um so i enjoyed getting to know him you know because there was i don't know how long i mean i still we still uh talk and run into him so but it's you know he, he's just one of
0: the one of the gems um in the business no that's, that's really well said um you know one of the wild hogs is without question one of the most rewatchable enjoyable comedies i have ever seen i absolutely love it my dad and i used to watch just thousands of times just over and over and again we love i mean it never gets old right um the, the one th- I, and, and wild hogs gets a shout out i was watching hot tub time machine another great comedy by the way uh, that that they gave they said we're bonding like like in wild hogs they gave wild hogs a shout out i thought that was really cool i've been dying to tell you that forever i'm sure you knew that but yeah
1: that well so it's interesting you say hot tub time machine i'm sure the reason the, they have done that is because that's my that was my boy Andrew Pene, the producer on that. Oh, okay. He produced uh, both Van Wilder and Old Dogs, and who I do ninety percent of these commercials with through his company Panay Films. Um, so, um, so that that's why they, uh, you know, that's why they they mentioned that. Um, but it, it's it's a pretty fun feeling when you start out pretty much as kids on a movie 20 years ago and then you're still, you know, working on movies or commercials or, or something all this time later. Um, is one of the great guys in this business. Um, and, and a genius producer.
0: Yeah. I mean, when we're looking at a movie in wild hogs that grossed nearly $250 million. So I think the people have spoken when it comes to this, um, with this cast, you know, Tim Allen, Travolta, Martin Lawrence, William H. Macy, Ray Liotta, do you have input in who you want, Walt, or is that a, more of a collaborative decision? Like, do you say, before you even start filming, do you say, I gotta have this guy, or I gotta have this actor, or is it everyone working together deciding who can best fit these roles?
1: Yeah, I think it it varies from movie to movie. Um, you know, I think it's, it's, so, you know, in some movies... I would say it it was pretty much my call and stuff. Other things were more of a kind of, you know, committee approval, I guess, if you would on that, on that particular movie uh, I think Tim Allen was attached, was the only one attached when I got on the script and I met with him and, and really loved him and my, my pitch to the studio, because I think, you know, Tim Allen, and, and here's another guy that just, like, keeps winning. I mean, he's had the biggest show on television. Then he did another almost biggest show on television. He's had created all kinds of giant movies for himself. So they the studio felt like, hey, we have Tim Allen. Like, put whoever else in it and, and you know, let's go. But my pitch to them was, you know, on the surface you have a, a movie about four uh, middle-aged bikers having a midlife crisis riding across the country. I mean, that could be like a Miramax movie. Uh, I said, who are we going to put on the one sheet that's going to all of a sudden start raising eyebrows and go, what is this? You know, how, how do we have to see this? So that's when I pitched them. I said, let's just go and put three other great names along with Tim where it's a must see. And so I, I talked to them, um, about John and I think, somebody had talked to him and there was seemed like there was mutual interest. So we flew to New York and then had a great meeting and, um, uh, then landed him. And then, um, then I changed, um, I got the studio. They were really great. I gotta say on that movie, Disney was pretty incredible partners. Um, but I, I pitched them on changing the plumber character who, who was a white Jewish guy to, um, uh, make it African American. Um, Uh, I do that on almost all films anyway, you know, this was not kind of part of any movement. It's just my general sense of things and kind of how I grew up. So I just said, um, it makes a lot of sense. There's a huge African-American motorcycle culture. I said to me, it, it just, it, it, it brings more people in the tent. I just think it would be a great idea. So they said, great, fine. And then they said, who, who are you thinking about? And I said, Martin Lawrence, and they said, well, we're not, you know, I'm not sure we're going to get Martin Lawrence, but, um, I said, no, I think, I think we could. <laughs> and so, but, and then, you know, I think I had conversations with UTA, which brought them at the time. And that deal closed like in a day. Um, and then with, uh, Macy what took a little bit longer. Cause I, I had to fly back a couple of times to talk to him, but, um, I felt like Dudley's character was so, big and broad, you know, <laughs> that you needed like an actor's actor to sort of level it out. And, and so, but I, but I think the four guys in that movie just had, uh, you know, a really special chemistry and, and then I knew we had done our job right. We were, I think this was the first time they all got out there in New Mexico. We were in, uh, Santa Fe having dinner at this great restaurant, the four of us and myself and the producer, And um, we walked out and some guy just said, man, I don't know what movie this is, but I have to see it, you know, commenting on Mm. why is Tim Allen, John Travolta, Martin Lawrence, and (laughs) Bill Macy (laughs) having dinner. So I kind of felt validated that we'd done our job, you know, um,
0: sort of casting that. Testing it. And the chemistry is remarkable. I mean, the, the scene when Martin Lawrence and William H. Macy in the restaurant where he gets nervous talking to uh, um, uh, Marissa? You, Marissa and uh, he gets <laughs> out of nowhere. He says, all I could think about were black jokes. And Martin looks at him and goes, yeah, which one? Yeah, like which one? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just But like every scene that these guys have with each other, it's like they they grew up together. Like that's yeah. you know it, so I've been dying to ask you this too. So with like William H Macy and Ray Liotta, guys that have been around, right? And not that not that Tim Allen and Travolta haven't. But but is it are they open to feedback? Can you ever approach those two, Walt, and say, hey, did you ever think about doing it maybe this way? Or is it like, listen, I know what I'm doing, I got this, don't worry about it. How, how are they with feedback? Um, well, you know they're they're great.
1: I think you know, most actors, even if they've been doing it for a long time, appreciate feedback. Um, certainly they appreciate a point of view, especially from the director. Right. Right. So I think most actors that I know are more terrified if they're not getting any notes, um, you know, they, they, you know, they, they sort of feel out of control, you know, they they want to know how things are playing or, or a, a direction. And, and certainly someone who's been living with the material, even longer than they have, you know, should have a point of view. So I find that most actors, like I haven't run into an actor yet. You know, you hear stories of like, you can tell me faster and slower, but nothing else. Um, (laughs) I haven't run into any of those um, actors. I feel like um, most of them appreciate feedback. And um, generally, I'm such a, a fan of actors just in general and what they do and how they do it. Um, I think when I, you know, when I'm anytime that I'm giving notes or thoughts on something, they also know that they have complete control of anything they want to do. So, um, you know, they, whether that's improving stuff, whether that's, Hey, thinking we do this for this scene, I'm, I'm pretty collaborative and open, um, about doing that. So when they feel like they have, uh, um, f- sort of freedom to explore or be in control of, uh, their persona in the movie. Then, um, when you ask them, Hey, we, w- you know, we tried a couple like these, I was just, this just struck me like, "What? what if we deadpan this one or we do, let's try it like this or something. They, they, I find they generally, you know, because you're so giving about letting them do whatever they, they know that this is a process of just trying to find, you know, it could be equally good versions of something. Um, and they generally are game to try it. So yeah, they, you know, they, they all, I think they all, you know, pretty much appreciate feedback. Um, you know, I, you know, I I imagine it's always weird when you work with a new person, especially generationally, like Mm. if someone's been acting, you know, for three decades or something before, you know, you were, uh, directing and then, and then you're giving them thoughts on a character, but most actors I know, uh, love a POV and love, um, well, mostly support. Like, I don't know, 90% of my job is making sure that there's someone that's watching them and, and supporting them. And, you know, I, I think it's terrifying to do what they do. So, um, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's well said. Um, one of the, I had one of the cast on the show. I had Steven Tobolowski on the show. Very underrated. Oh, yeah. Steven. Yeah. He is funny as He is a gifted storyteller. I had fun talking wild hogs with him, but he's another underrated, as Charlie, the underrated, uh, a part of that cast. Just, uh, again, the cast, you can go, you get, after the first five, it still gets stronger. Like, it's just the cast has no weak points. It's, such, it's oh, an yeah, amazing.
1: No, that, I, you know, that I, sometimes I get, uh, uh, you know, I had studios go. Well, why do you want to cast up on everything? And I'm like, well, if you can cast up, why, like, why wouldn't you, you know? So I don't know with, with Ray, you know, again, that was the same version of grounding, uh, a character. And I just said, who would be the scariest guy to actually chase these guys that could give legitimate threat. And, and then, you know, he put (laughs) Ray Liotta in it and, and who is also a, a gem of a actor and guy. Um, and, and uh, you know, and suddenly you have that. And then, um, you know, when you have people like Steven come in to play the sheriff and, and um, you know, the, the brothers, it was just kind of everywhere you looked. look. There was Marissa Tomei. Um, there was just someone else. I don't know. I've watched. I always related to tennis, you know. And if you if you have a world class tennis player, you know, and you want to watch a game or even a set just. Between them and, you know, an amateur, uh, it's 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 a whole lot less fun if people aren't hitting the ball back uh, properly. So for me, they don't all have to be names, but you're always trying to fill the movie with someone you think is going to pop in a scene and, and give the other actor in
0: it, you know, a lot to play with. Yeah, and I told Stephen, I said if they wanted to go forward with this even now, it would make for one hell of a show on, like, Netflix or, or Disney owns it, so it's probably a bad. But yeah, I, I think it would make for one heck of a show just following these guys. And and, and I don't know. There's so many. There's This this movie is just, it, like I said, it's so rewatchable. There's so many wonderful moments to it. Best use of um, dead or alive ever in movie history. Uh, last question for you. Uh, thank you for all this time, Well, You've been so yeah, much fun sure. to talking. To. Um, what are your own? You mentioned you went to the Batman with your son. Um, does your son or sons think about, um, dad's movies and what is, what are they, what is their favorite? That's a good question. Um,
1: what did they think about, uh, <laughs> let me see. Um, I don't know if honest to God, I swear, I don't think they've watched man Wilder. Um, and that, they're, they're old enough to now. Uh, now it reminds me that maybe I should, but even that, I don't know if I would want to, have my 16 year old, um, uh, sort of, um, see that, but, um, they, they loved wild hogs. I think they loved, um, they loved the Clifford movie. You know, that's, that's more, especially my daughter who I, who I put in it.
0: Um, huge, huge heart. That movie has such a huge heart.
1: Yeah. I was really proud of that. It's such a sweet film and, and the way that, that, um, sort of, you know, all the audiences around the world sort of responded to it was was pretty great. Um, so I, I would say that they they liked that as well.
0: Um, but Wild Hogs for sure is one of the faves. Yeah, you know, let me ask you this: What is it about whether Wild Hogs or Clifford that that, that audiences really gravitate to when it comes to you? What, what do you think it is? Do you think it's just the way you see things? Is it your perception of of the world? Because they clearly gravitate to your work, Walt. I think it's. I think it's. Um, yeah, I think through all of them,
1: it would be um, uh, funny, um, not mean spirited, um, with a little bit of heart and 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 hope. So I guess like kind of this old school idea of um, movie making, you know, that have that. I don't. I I I haven't made like a cynical movie. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, now. Now you could get. Pegged like, hey, he's the popcorn guy, or you know, he's this. But those were always the movies that I enjoyed and um and and so those are the ones that I love to make.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You're so much fun to talk to. And um, yeah, I just I'm very appreciative of your time.
1: I appreciate it. You have a a great show. Um, and you know, getting to know you, uh, you're also a great guy, so keep up the uh amazing work i hope to have some updates and 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 on a couple sequels later and uh we'll continue talking but thanks for having me Thank you for listening to Derek Thomas and Monday Morning Critic Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you can also connect with Monday Morning Critic on Instagram and Facebook, MDM Critic on Twitter, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are found. All episodes available www.mmcpodcast.com.